Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, today we're talking about how to figure out the meaning of life by driving 15,000 miles across America and doing what your mom always told you not to do, talk to strangers. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I am so glad to be here with you again. I can't wait to introduce you to my guest today. I saw him being interviewed on CNN, and I was so inspired with what he was up to that I reached out and asked him to come on the podcast. He's only 25 and was having a bit of a quarter-life crisis that challenged and motivated him to come up with a really big and meaningful idea. When I heard about his project and book, Advice from America, Life Advice and Photos of 1,000 Strangers from 48 States, I knew I wanted to have him on because it's highly relatable to women in the middle, and his message is something you're going to want to hear more about. And yes, you heard me right. He's only 25 and now another honorary woman in the middle. <laughs> His story knocked my socks off. I know you're going to love it. Okay, but just quick, I want to make sure you know about the new opportunity I have for you with my new sister podcast called Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs. I'm currently looking for guests. So if you're a woman in the middle who's 50 plus and also an entrepreneur or business owner who's actively dealing with navigating classic midlife related obstacles and challenges while you're trying to run your business, this new podcast is especially for you. Learn more about how to be a guest by heading over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. There's lots more information there so you can see if you're a good fit for this show. Okay, now let's dive into this episode. My guest today is Imran Nuri. He's an artist and storyteller who drove to all of the lower 48 United States to ask 1,000 strangers for life advice before photographing them on black and white film. What an idea, right? Imran says he created Advice from America out of a desire to figure out the meaning of life. And spoiler alert, it's his belief that the meaning of life isn't to be happy all the time or for things to be great all the time. The meaning of life is to experience it fully, the good, the bad, and the in-between. I can't wait for you to hear his unique story and message. It is so powerful. So please enjoy this episode. Hi, Imran. Thanks so much for joining us on the Women in the Middle podcast, another honorary woman in the middle. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. So fun because you're obviously male and you're nowhere near midlife. <laughs> yeah, I'm 25. <laughs> so I I'm actually appreciative of, the, of being on here, being 25. It's oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> it's so fun. You know, I rarely have men on the podcast, but you are in the group of special people who don't mind being an honorary woman in the middle. <laughs> Absolutely. Seriously, I love this. Now, you have a really interesting story to tell, which is why I asked you on. I found you on CNN. I was just watching away, and there you were on freaking CNN telling your story about doing something crazy, which was so excited because you're basically focusing on 
helping people understand how to regret-proof their lives, which is something as a midlife coach, we talk about all the time. So in your notes, um, I just lifted something that you said, because basically it summarizes what you did. You went on a journey to figure out the meaning of life. And your conclusion after coming back is that the meaning of life is to experience it fully, the good, the bad, and the in-between. I mean, mic drop, please. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> it took it only it only took driving fifteen thousand miles and asking a thousand strangers for life advice to figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> I love how how intentional you were about getting that information. Okay, so let's start. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You said you're you're twenty five. Like, come on, you're twenty five, and you had this amazing idea. So tell us how all of it happened. Where did you get this idea? What were you doing? Who are you? Take it yeah, I give. Uh, th- well, thank you for asking. I'll give you my background, just the last couple of years, so that you understand how my past, especially my college experience, got me to where I am right now. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Basically, it started with you know I, I went to the Ohio State University for undergrad, and my big reason for choosing Ohio State was an organization they had there called Buckeithon, and Buckeithon is this 24-hour dance marathon that raises money for children's cancer research. I, and I saw this as this, it's one of the biggest dance marathon programs in the country. I saw it as this incredible opportunity for me to be in my early twenties. And even at that time, I was 18. So in my late, like almost done with my teen years, I saw this huge opportunity to give back to the community in a way that you generally can't when you're that age. And so I went to Ohio State for that, got really involved in Buckeithon. And by my third year at Ohio State, my junior year, I had earned my spot as the president of the organization, had the chance to essentially be the face of the organization for the hospital and university leadership and our our major donors. And I learned all those skills that go into, you know, more or less being, you know, quote unquote, the CEO of a nonprofit, which is incredible to be 21 and 22 learning that skill. uh, It challenged me like no other, but I loved it because our impact ultimately was raising close to $2 million in a year for children's cancer research. Um, all with thousands of students participating in this dance marathon program. Wow. And I, it gave me so much joy, even selfishly and personally, to be able to to spend so much time outside of my classwork and outside of hanging out with friends to do good. Um, after my junior year, I had this uh, kind of, I don't know if I should call it a quarter-life crisis, you know? <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I don't know what to do next. I didn't, I, I, I had this goal of reaching that, um, you know, being able to lead the organization by my senior year. I ha- happened to be able to do it a year early. And I was like, okay, now I've built this amazing network and I've got these amazing skills and I know how nonprofits and philanthropy functions. And I had this idea of having people donate a dollar for every week of the year. And every week it would go to a different nonprofit fighting poverty. And I, the thinking was that if we could get a million people to donate a dollar a week, then we can donate $52 million a year, $1 at a time. And at the same time, I remember I, I, I had that idea. I thought about it every day. And I remember going to one of my honors classes, seminars, where we just had meaningful discussions. And I said to my class, as all of them were getting their Fortune 500 internships, I said to them, I don't know what I'm going to learn more from. Pursuing a Fortune 500 internship, a more traditional route, getting paid well over the summer, securing a, a full-time job. and you know, having that security, or if I would learn more from pushing myself way out of my comfort zone. And I literally said at that time, what if I went around the country 
and talked to strangers and collected their stories because I can't talk to strangers. It's not something that was comfortable for me. And that is not something that is very traditional, but it would be so impactful. It would be so fascinating to do something like that. And (laughs) (laughs) so you're just like confused. And then you come with an idea to talk to strangers. Yeah. To collect stories from people. You know, at that time, it wasn't necessarily about life advice or even the photography aspect wasn't a piece of it either. I just thought this is the least responsibility I'll ever have again. And so why not use this chance to do something that is unique, that someone that do something that nobody is ever going to pay me to do? You know, Uh, why not take a risk while I can? Now, what kind of a response did you get? (laughs) Uh, My classmates looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, because again, they were all taking the traditional route and they were very excited to take on that traditional route. Now that summer, I, the reason I mentioned the nonprofit stuff is because instead of going across the country that summer, I started my nonprofit that had people donate a dollar a week, launched at the beginning of 2020. And as we all know, uh, three months later, uh, <laughs> the pandemic hits, things yeah. go crazy. And then, uh, you know, I, I continued to run it. I, I moved back in with my dad after graduating in 2020 continued to run the nonprofit full time and uh, tried to grow it as much as I could until ultimately shutting it down at the end of 2021. Uh, And I think going through the process of graduating in the pandemic, uh, realizing that my nonprofit that I'd built from nothing wasn't going to work out and having to shut that down, kind of going through the grief of that process, um, I kind of started asking myself, what would I do with my life if I knew I was going to have just one year left? If I knew I was going to die in a year, seriously, what would I do with my life? And, and the answer was so clear. It came right back to that idea of my junior year of college of I would go talk to strangers and figure out the meaning of life. If I had a year left, I would really want to figure that out. I, I and, can't even. It's so interesting to me on every level. First of all, I can't even imagine what your parents were thinking at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they <laughs> were a little also, nervous. You're so outgoing. And this was really an issue for you. Like you clearly your strategy changed you. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, the way I think about it, the example I always give is that I would be at a grocery store waiting in line to get to check out and I would see something interesting about somebody or, you know, how some people just have this glow of energy around them. They just, you just want to connect with them because you're like, you're this good human being. I can tell. And I would have to psych, I would psych myself out, you know, in my head, I'm like, I need to say something to this person. And I just would freeze up and say nothing. And then I would regret it for the rest of my day. And I hated that. You know, I just wanted to get over that feeling so that I could connect with the people around me. Um, so yeah, a pretty radical way to go around the country and talk to a thousand strangers as a way of getting over my shyness. <laughs> uh, I just love that it was your idea. And what's really, what really stands out is the clarity you had when you asked yourself that excellent question. And so many times we, especially the the people I work with, these amazing women, midlife crisis. I try not to use the word crisis so much because really it's a, it's an opportunity to check in with yourself and and really reevaluate, reimagine what's possible, check in with your identity and what you actually want. So important, but we don't ask ourselves the best questions. And even that question can feel so overwhelming. Then we get even more confused, but the way you asked it, you gave yourself uh, a bit of urgency and that little bit of urgency gave you incredible clarity. 
So it worked for you and boom, there it was. So what was next? Because now you got kind of a weird idea that you're sorting through that you really want. <laughs> yes, exactly. That, that what, what came next was just planning this, this journey. I was like, I'm going to go drive to all of the lower 48 U.S. states. I'm going to live in my car to make it affordable, uh, as affordable as it can be. And I'm going to go talk to strangers and I'm going to ask them about what they wish they knew earlier. In other words, talking to their younger selves about something. I, and sometimes I would phrase it that way. I would, I would go up to a stranger and say, if you could tell your younger self anything right now, and younger can be the last week, it can be 20 years ago, what would you say? And I'd give them that opportunity to have a discussion with their younger self. And it was so interesting. You know, we, we, I think we'll get into in a second too, that people didn't make eye contact with me when they did this, which is a good thing because they really were engaging with their younger self. But I, you know, I, I wanted to go around the country, talk to strangers, ask them about life advice. And I wanted to photograph every single one of them on a 50 year old film camera. And that's the artist in me. I've always been an oil painter and a photographer. And so I wanted to create an art series out of this so that I could share it with the world. I said, if I'm going to figure out the meaning of life, I better be able to give it to other people too, you know, <laughs> in a way that's not just me telling them the meaning of life, right? That's when people will ultimately will see my series which I'm turning into a book. And I know you know that we'll get to that eventually too. Oh, but yeah. when people see my series and read the advice for themselves and see the stranger, I hope that people will come to the same conclusion I do. And if they come to a different conclusion about life, that's great too. That's totally fine. Whatever comes out of it, I just know it's important that it's shareable. Oh my gosh. I love this for so many reasons. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to my first decent camera. It was in 19... Hmm... I'm sure you weren't born. It was, <laughs> it was, it was in university. So it, it must have been 1982, something like that. And oh, no, I think it was 83 or 84. Now I remember. And it was a used camera, a Russian Zenit. And I oh, have a friend, yeah. you I'm know familiar. about a Zenit? Oh, yeah. And that's what I had in university. And I remember going to wildlife sanctuaries and oh, I just love photography. But it's so Beautiful. fun that you want to, it's so funny. You want to use a film camera, but wait, I have to ask you one question before we go into the photography part. Yeah. Which is so great. But where did you even get the focus for the meaning of life? Like you could have asked strangers anything. Where did that yeah. come from? So I tested this on a really small scale in Chicago where I was living right before my trip. I am from Ohio though. I had only lived in Chicago for a couple months and I went up to strangers and I would ask them various questions. There was a, a time where I tested the idea of uh, I would give people an app that you could select basically any color on the entire color spectrum. And I would tell them, like, if you could pick a color that you resonate with right now that describes your mood, what would you pick? And I tried that with some people and it was interesting. But at the end of the day, I, I don't think people are um, as experienced enough with color to really properly pick out of, you know, 256 million colors. Um, so, so I was like, that's not going to work. I'm just going to get the same colors over and over and over again. And then I tested various questions. And what, <laughs> if, I know you're seeing this, Susie. My cat just walked into the frame. This um, is my but... favorite thing. I love to see what the pets are up to. And cats are always going back and forth in front of the, <laughs> the screen. He's, that cat is beautiful. What He's kind yeah. of big. For your listeners, this is a 13-pound uh, gray tuxedo cat. He's got a white tuxedo bow tie right there. So the, hopefully that's a good description. <laughs> and what's the name? His name's Prince. He's very handsome. And he's yeah. very, his, his fur is very silky. Yeah, he is silky. Definitely. Oh my God. Uh, but yeah, you know, I asked people these, these test questions. And one of those was the one year question. Like, what would you do if you knew you had a year left? 
And what was interesting about that one is that most people said I would travel. And I understand that. I think, I think that was obviously a big piece of mine as well, traveling to the whole country. Um, but I didn't want to hear that a thousand times. I didn't want to hear a thousand people say, I'm going to go travel. You know? uh, it was nice to, to come to that conclusion quickly. I tested a few other things. And what ended up being the best that I got the highest quality, deepest answers was that question of what do you know now that you wish you had known earlier? And that, you know, I call it life advice. And the series is even called Advice from America. But I'm sure you'll relate to this, especially as a, as a life coach. You know, it's better to share experiences than to tell people advice, right? Yes, and that's why yes. I wouldn't go up to them and say, give me advice. I wanted them to, to just share their experience. And if somebody reads that and resonates with it, that's great. And if they don't, it's not the person telling them what to do. Oh, that's so good. No, you're totally on to something. All right, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I started in Columbus, Ohio, and I went about like clockwise around the country as, as, you know, if you see the map, it's not a perfect circle. <laughs> it's very zigzagging around the country, but started in Columbus, Ohio, went up northeast, came down south along the coast, then went out west and zigzagged all those states out there. They're huge, uh, you know, and then looped all the way back around. I tried to talk to about 20 strangers in every state. And typically I would look for people who were alone. And so this was either in downtown areas or uh, parks. And I did that because I found that I just got higher quality answers from people when we could be one-on-one. They, there's nobody judging them. Uh, they did, you know, when I, when I went up to groups, I would ask them the question and immediately they would just turn to each other and look at each other and go, I don't know. What do you think? And that's not the point, you know, then it's not about what do you think? It's about, what is it for you? What's the most genuine piece of advice? And so I heard all these themes. If you want, I can I can go into those themes if you want right now. But I, I can... do, but hold one second. I have a couple yeah. more questions about the mechanics, and then we'll talk yeah. about the themes because I definitely want the themes. Um, so I want to know, what kind of car was it? What kind of budget did you have? How did you plan the route? And what did you put in the car to make it easier for you to actually live out of it? Like, what was your strategy? <laughs> What's going on behind the scenes? Yeah, I think when people hear, uh, when, I, when people hear me say I lived in my car for 84 days sleeping at rest areas, they're probably imagining a van, but I think it's very important that people recognize I lived in a Toyota Camry, which is a sedan, like a family size sedan. <laughs> uh, you know, there's no way to lay down in that thing. I just leaned the seat all the way back and I would pull into well lit rest areas that had reviews on Google that said they were safe and, I would sleep right there in the front seat and then I would take off in the morning and go. And, uh, you know, I would shower at Planet Fitnesses around the country. I had a national membership, which was great because they're everywhere. Um, but yeah, the budget for the trip was about $10,000, which all things considered pretty, you know, pretty reasonable. About a lot of that was the cost of the photography aspect of it. It was, you know, the film itself was almost a thousand dollars for enough film to photograph a thousand people on the camera that I used. Oh, this is so, it, where do you even buy film? <laughs> yeah, so I, I bought it from a, there's an awesome company in my hometown, Columbus, Ohio, called Midwest Photo Exchange. They sell all the film that's still there. Kodak still makes film. You might be familiar with Ilford still makes film. You know, these these big film companies are still out there and doing pretty well, actually, right now. But I had to buy 100 rolls of, it's called 120 film, which is medium format film. And each roll was $8.39. So $839 for all the film. That's a pretty major expense. That's almost a, you know, that's almost a tenth of the entire budget just for the film. 
And then on top of that, I had to develop it and all of that. So overall budget, $10,000. I definitely didn't have that money. I had a few thousand dollars in my bank account and I used that and I got a personal loan to do the rest. Probably not a good <laughs> financial decision, <laughs> but I was like, you know what? People take loans to go to school all the time. Yeah, I'm willing to take a loan to um, experience this thing that's going to stick with me for a lifetime, I know. Oh my gosh, yeah. Now, and why were you so passionate to do it on film instead of digital? I there were yeah, I'm glad you asked that. That's a great question. I think there were multiple reasons. One of the biggest ones was that um I wanted to stay in the moment. And when you take a photo digitally, you see it immediately and you're nitpicking little things about it and I didn't want to do that as a photographer. I also didn't want my subjects to to do that for themselves. It's like except I wanted them to accept that I photographed them as they were as they were. If their hair was blowing in their face or in the wind, that's okay. That's so genuine, you know. Or if there was somebody weird in the background, that's okay. That's genuine. You know, whatever it was, I want it to be very authentic. And so they, they couldn't review it. I couldn't review it. And so I, I just, love this. Oh my God, that you were so focused on being present and yeah. trying to encourage your, your, uh, the people you were talking to, your subjects to be present. Yeah. Uh, where'd you come from? That is a brilliant insight. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I So here's the deal. Here's where uh, me being 25 is probably extra relevant here. I am on the cusp between Gen Z and millennial. And because of that, I grew up with the internet. I grew up with a cell phone. You know, I think my I got my first cell phone when I was 12. Uh-huh. Um, and it wasn't a smartphone, but still, you know, my friends had iPod touches and all these things. And growing up with the internet and social media and things that are all about instant gratification, honestly, it's like a burnout. You know, I feel like my whole life has just been instant gratification in the form of digital technology that film is so refreshing as, as somebody who's Gen Z slash millennial. It's just so like, it's so different from everything else. It's a slow process. You don't get to see it immediately. It leads you to wonder, you know, I didn't see my photos until after the journey was over, by the way, you know, things like that. Wow. I had to wonder if they even turned out at all. Uh, but it makes mail- it forces you-, you to accept it, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's scary. Like back in the day, sometimes if I if I was traveling or whatever, I would drop them in these envelopes and mail them in. And then I would arrive yes. home and they would be there. Is that what you did? What did you do? I just kept my rolls in bags and I had a bunch of bags, like Ziploc bags of my film because I developed it myself when I got back. Um, that was part of the thing I, I wanted to have as much control over it as possible. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot less expensive to develop myself than to send it to a lab. Um, but yeah, I just kept them in roll in bags the whole time and just had to wonder, I wonder if these photos are going to turn out or not. Um, are you worried about the heat of the car or any yes. of that? Absolutely. So I kept them in a cooler, but I, there wasn't ice in the cooler and it was in the trunk, which is, um, you know, it, it stayed as cool as it could have been. But I did a lot of research beforehand too, to make sure that the film would be safe. The heat is a factor for sure. Uh, more so with color film than black and white. And I did shoot all my photos on black and white film. Oh, this is so good. Keep <laughs> talking. Let's hear about, uh, let's hear about these categories. The categories, yes. Oh, there were so many themes. You know, I think one of the big questions that I had for myself and that everybody was asking when I said I was going to go do this crazy thing is they're like, I'm going to be so curious to see if there's a difference between various states and regions or genders or uh, ethnicities, whatever it might be, any kind of category. And what I found was that people, I, I found the same themes 
all across the country. Every region had the same things over and over and over again. And to some degree, at a certain point, as I was hearing these same things, which I'll, I'll tell you in a second, but I started getting frustrated. I'm like, <laughs> I'm hearing the same thing over and over and over again. Maybe I shouldn't do all a thousand. Maybe I should just stop at 500 and I'm, I'm good. But what I realized and started to appreciate was that it must be true. If I'm hearing it over and over and over again in all these regions of the country, there must be some truth to it. And so, you know, for, for example, one of those, one of those big ones was that, um, people talked about appreciating every moment. And, and that especially hit hard when people who were sick or, uh, had become handicapped, uh, when they said that it carried so much more weight as someone who either is nearing an end and they know that because of cancer, for example, um, or because they were betting on having a long, healthy life and then life took a turn in an unexpected way. And so, so many people, you know, I think the first time that hit me hard was when I met a 23-year-old in West Virginia who said, I got diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago. And at that time, I didn't know what was going to happen. And so, it made me realize that living a long life isn't a guarantee. I, he's like, he said, he said he was going to be in remission that summer. So I was glad to hear that he was okay. But, um, you know, he said it really made him think about how it, it's better to enjoy everything and appreciate everything for what it is. And and that was early on my trip. So throughout the rest of the journey, as I was stuck in a traffic jam or I got in a car accident a few, a few days later, you know, these crazy bad things would happen. And I would just think to myself, no, it's okay. This is part of the process. Life isn't good all the time. And if you want it to be good all the time or you expect it to be good all the time, you're going to be disappointed, right? It's about, see, he changed my expectations. My expectations became that things will go wrong. And when they do, I'll just take them on. So that was a theme all around the country. Just enjoy every moment. You know, some of those other ones were uh, people really talked about becoming themselves. And I, I imagine this is probably extra relevant to your target audience, your listeners as well, because I heard this from people who were my age, and I heard this from people who were 50, and I heard this from people who were 80, and it was the same thing, again, all across the country. People talked about how they had held themselves back from being who they know they are for so long, and sometimes it was family expectations, sometimes it was cultural expectations, societal all these different expectations force them into not being who they were. And then when they finally decide to say, screw it, I'm going to be who I know I am and want to be, they were like, life just got so much better. It got beautiful and you could see it. And I'm sure you'll see it in the photos of those people too. There's a glow. There's a glow around them of like enlightenment. They figured it out. And so I love that I could meet people who had figured that out at my age and people who had figured that out when they were 50 and people who had figured that out when they were 80. It didn't, it, 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 all that matters is that they figured it out, that they can be exactly who they want to be, no matter what that looks like. And I thought that was beautiful to hear that oh, around the whole country. So good. Absolutely. Oh, bring on another one. I'm yeah. Loving. So another one, this one's an interesting one for me because I grew up religious. I grew up in a religious Muslim household and I am no longer religious. I really detached myself from that the last couple of years. But I still feel this uh, overarching, like higher power. And I've been trying to figure that out. And, and this trip really helped me figure that out because I heard over and over and over again across the whole country, all these people talked about how important religion was to them. And for the most part, people talked about it, about Christianity, which makes sense. It's the, the major religion in, in the U.S. 
Um, but they talked about how, how relieving it was to be able to, uh, send a prayer out into the world and their stresses were away. You know, and I remember in particular, one person I met in, I think Vermont said, she goes, I grew up deeply Catholic and, as I grew older, kind of distanced myself from that, but I still pray every night. She goes, I still pray every night to God or some higher power, and I let it go, and I call it my peace out prayers. I peace out at the end of every day <laughs> with my prayers. And she talked about how it was so um, like alleviating to just send her troubles and worries out there into the universe and to put it into control of God or the universe or whatever it might be, whatever you believe in. I love that. That's my, that's my new religion. <laughs> my new religion is just something is out there. It might be God. It might be something else, but it, there are definitely forces of the universe that help us when we ask for help. Um, and can harm us, I guess, in some ways. If I don't know, there's, there's, it's nuanced, but, um, I heard that over and over and over again. And so I feel like that's an important piece to, being happy is like just, it, it doesn't have to be about God or religion. I think it's more about gratitude and letting your problems go, right? Just putting them out there and saying, you know, I trust that things are going to work out the way they should. Uh, I love that theme. Fascinating. This is, um, this is my background is in psychology and applied social psychology. And in my master's thesis, I used qualitative methodology, which is basically what you're doing. You're letting these patterns emerge from the data and you're not really, you didn't go in there knowing what was going to happen. That's right. I I had no idea. You're just so open to these themes. Were there a few more you wanted to share? Absolutely. I think one of my favorite ones, uh, you know, I'm I'm at at the age now where all my friends are getting married or having children. I'm in like wedding season for probably the next 10 years at least. Um, And so that that gets me thinking. I'm single now, so that gets me thinking a lot about you know, what, what is the future of my relationship? I'd love to have a long-term life partner, but I don't want to force it. And so I met quite a few people. I, one of the ones who stood out to me, um, I believe I met her in Washington state and she was sitting on a bench, just taking in the fresh air under a tree. And I asked her again, what do you know now that you wish you'd known earlier? And she talked about how she had moved, uh, you know, numerous times, just kind of finding herself, exploring the world. And she never rushed herself into a relationship. And she said, I would tell my younger self that you're doing the right thing because you're going to find that person eventually. And she talked about how I think at 45, she was just randomly at a bar, I think in Denver or somewhere that she had just moved to. She's with a friend. Her friend goes up to a, a, some guy there and goes, hey, my other friend over there thinks you're cute, you know, and, and that, that was a stranger I was talking to. And she didn't think much of it, gave the guy her number and didn't really think he was going to call because she left pretty promptly after that ended up being her, her, her husband. And she was like, you know, I waited for so long and I never settled for less than what I wanted. And it took till 45, but I'm so glad that I waited because this guy is my soulmate. You know, he's my person. And, and I love that. I love that, you know, like she really believed that, that her timeline, despite being different from whatever society tells you it should be, her timeline was her timeline, and that's all that mattered. And I heard that in a lot of various different ways around the country, too. People being like, you know, just let the let things happen as they're supposed to, and don't worry if you're not on the same track as the people around you. I loved that theme so much. It gave me so much, like, I don't know what the right word is. It, I kind of felt like 
it's okay. Things are going to happen in the time that they happen for me, even if it's different from my other friends who might be getting married right now or having children right now. You know, if it doesn't happen for me for another 20 years, I'm okay with that. If at that point, it's the quality that I want out of it. You know, oh my I gosh. I have, I have to say two things to this. First of all, if anybody's listening, Imran's single. And I'm just saying, <laughs> he's yeah. adorable. Listen to this guy. He has so much insight. If you know anybody, I'm just saying. Okay. That's so funny. I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you for playing matchmaker here. <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> if, my kid, so if my kids are listening, they're cringing right now because of course <laughs> so you're not the only recipient of this kind of behavior. Okay. So <laughs> the other thing, um, this comes up a lot in my coaching and my community and, and I, uh, talk about this as believing that you're on the right path. There's nothing wrong with your path. But a lot of times we think I'm doing something wrong. I need to do something completely different and get on a different path, a new path. There's nothing wrong with tweaks, but everything you've done is part of who you are. And that part of the path is absolutely going to contribute to where you're going in the future. And so that belief that it's okay, let it happen. You're on the right path. It doesn't mean you just sit back but you can let go of the angst of thinking that things should be something other than what they are. Does exactly. that exactly? Yeah. Well yeah. said. I love that. That's a great way of phrasing it. All right. You need to share at least one more. <laughs> all right. Let me think of another great theme here. There, there were so many like, they're wonderful- all so good. They're so good. Yeah. You know, so many of these are really deep and like uh very introspective. There were, there were quite a few other ones that people talked about taking care of your finances and investing and making sure. And that, and that was really about like setting yourself up for success for the future. And, and people talked about how it's, it's never too late. And like the best time is to do something is 10 years ago. The next best time is right now. Right. Oh, that's so um, good. Well, actually, I have a very, that is so good. It's like, don't, if, if it hasn't happened yet, just make it happen now. Who cares? Yes, um, exactly. Like I, I take that to heart too. I feel like I started doing that the last couple of years where, um, again, I grew up with social media. And so you can see these studies where Gen Z, uh, when, when you ask them, what do they want out of a, a dream career? Like being a YouTuber is up there in like top five. That that wasn't even a phrase for millennials or or the next generation, you know. So I'm I'm part of that. I'm unapologetically like a, a student of YouTube Academy is what I like to say. And so I, I started realizing when I uh, I think just a couple of years ago, even before this trip, I was like the best time to have started a YouTube channel would have been when I was 16, and the next best time is right now. And I'm so glad I started taking it seriously because. Just by going through the process, I started learning so much about what makes great content, what people enjoy watching, what I enjoy creating. And in the past two years, you know, I've grown a following from zero to, I think I have over 350,000 followers across social media now, just because I started two years ago. Wow. You know, again, the best time would have been 10 years ago, but you can't change the past, right? So what you can change is what you do right now, right? And I'm a big believer in that. And so if things, if you want to make a wild transformation, you can, but it doesn't have to be like you said, right? It can just be little changes using what, you know, uh, absolutely past. Yeah. Yeah. But I do have one specific question and then I want to hear what's next. And we'll talk more about how people can get the book. But did anybody talk about pets? I can't imagine that they were not discussed. Can you share a little bit about what people had to say about the pets in their lives? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They talked about pets. There are so many photos of people with their dogs and even some photos of people with their cats. 
which I was like, oh, great, you're taking your cat for a walk. That's nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, people people totally talked about their their animals. I think the one that stuck out to me the most. Oh, I love this so much because it reminded me of my mom. My mom, by the way, in the last couple of years, uh, got a divorce from my dad, and she's so happy now. Like. I love her to death. I'm so happy for her. But one of those things that my mom wanted to do was she always wanted my dad to take her to the Grand Canyon. And he just never did. (laughs) So after she got the divorce, one of the first things she did was she went to the Grand Canyon. And she saw that. And so when I was at the Grand Canyon on my trip, as I was leaving, I'm walking out and I'm a little bit further away at a point somewhere in the park where you can't actually see the canyon. And I see this woman with her dog. And it's a small, I don't know exactly what kind of small white dog. And she's holding the dog in her arms. And I stopped her for a second. I gave her my spiel. I said, hey, I'm driving across the country, talking to strangers, asking them for life advice. If you got two minutes, I'd love to ask you my life question. And when she, when I asked her, you know, what, what would you tell your younger self knowing what you know now? She said, I, she said almost the same thing as my mom. She said, I got divorced five years ago. And in these past five years, I've been waiting to find somebody who will take me to the Grand Canyon. And at a certain point, I decided, you know what? I don't need someone to take me there. I'm just going to take my dog and we're going to go together and we're going to go see the Grand Canyon. And she's like, you caught me about two minutes before I'm about to go see the Grand Canyon for the first time. And, you know, I'm talking to her like tearing up because I I feel like I was talking to my mom, you know, alternative version of my mom. I was like, I 100% understand what you're talking about, like in a very odd way. And I told her that I was like, my mom did the exact same thing. She waited for so long for someone to take her to see this beautiful display of nature. And at a certain point just said, you know what? I'm in control of my own life. I can do this. And she did it. And I was like, oh, well, how beautiful to catch somebody right in that moment of like freedom. Right. Oh my gosh. And she took her dog, the dog, was it gave her enough confidence to not really be alone, it sounds like. Exactly, exactly. And there are so many people who said the same thing with their dogs, too. Just companions. It's, it's pure companionship. Com- yeah. Non-judgmental, loving companionship. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. So wow, I could talk to you all day. Now, I, I know that's not possible, <laughs> um, but this is so much fun. Thank you so much for all these stories. Now, what I'd like to know is what was it like for you to return to have completed that part of the project and to make the transition into the next part of the project. Yes. Oh, it was surreal coming back. I mean, to give you an an idea, the last 15 minutes of my drive, I had, I was driving on a road that I drove to and from high school for four years. I had driven that road so many times, just hundreds, probably thousands of times. And this time it was different. I was like, I'm on the same path I've taken so many times before, but now I have 15,000 miles and 1,000 pieces of life advice behind me. And it's just, I saw the world in a completely different way. I noticed it right there. I've seen this a million times and today it's different. And I, you know, after that I got back in the next couple of months, I developed my film, started, I digitized it, started editing it, and then started sharing it on social media. I was like, okay, I went and did this crazy thing. Um, if you want to learn what I learned from it, I'm going to share it. This is the free version. And so I, I planned this. I was like, there are going to be three ways that people can experience what I experienced. The free version is social media. Anybody can see it from anywhere in the world. The paid version is the book that I just launched on Kickstarter last week. 
uh, which I'll, I'll plug in a second as well. And, and the third version will eventually be exhibiting the artwork, exhibiting the photos in galleries and museums, hopefully. Uh, that's a best case scenario. But um, I want people to be able to experience it in those, in, in those various different ways. And so it's been very, like people have been very receptive on social media of this series. It's, it's been ultimately what I realized after the journey. Again, I didn't really know what the meaning of life was at the beginning. I didn't know what the message of this series was going to be. And at the end of it, I realized that this is a huge series that can bring people together because you see people who look different from you, who uh, who live far away from you, and they share an experience that they've had that you've had too. And and I think that just forces you to look at that look at that and say that could be anybody around me. That could be my next door neighbor. That could be somebody I walk past in the street. It could be somebody I see on a vacation. You never know when the person around you, despite maybe initially thinking that they have nothing in common with you actually has a lot in common with you. And so I hope my hope with this book and the series is that people see it and, and, and find a sense of unity in themselves in a time where, you know, the world is extremely divisive and seems to be getting that more that way day by day. So I hope that my book and this series will make a small dent in, in bringing people together. Oh my gosh. I love that. So how can uh, people get a hold of you and get a hold of the book? What's happening? Yeah, so the book is called Advice from America, Life Advice and Photos of a Thousand Strangers from 48 States. And it, it, if you go to advicefromamerica.com, it takes you to the Kickstarter page. And if you're listening to this after July 13th, it'll take you to a, a different web page that still is about the book. It's 640 pages. It's 10 by 10 inches. It's hardcover. And it has all 1,000 photos of the strangers who I met along with their life advice and all the other crazy things that happened along the way, like getting a matching tattoo with Stranger 549, getting into a car accident on day 10, you know, showering and Planet Fitness is all over the place and having to live kind of grimy for three months. You know, all these crazy stories are going to be in there as well. And so the book is available now. It's $55 plus shipping. Um, and yeah, again, if you want to get, if, they, if your listeners want to get it, they can go to advicefromamerica.com and I hope that they'll add it to their collection of coffee table books. Oh my gosh. Well, women in the middle have coffee tables and we love <laughs> books. <laughs> we love that. I love that. Oh my gosh. Imran, thank you so much for sharing this time, uh, with us today. You're awesome. This project, it just has me giddy with joy about your joy, your imagination, your creativity, your ability to go after what you're passionate about when you were broke, that you took a <laughs> risk on yourself, that you had your own back, you trusted yourself to take out a loan and to do something that is kind of a crazy, fun, exciting idea. And now to turn it into something so important about basically how we can regret proof our lives. I mean, and you're only 25. Come on. <laughs> what is next in your future? Actually, what what kind of a timeline is the end of this project? What do you see? Yeah, the timeline. So the book will be ready for people in time for Christmas, which is that I've been playing that way in advance so that it's going to be a great gift and people can have it in time to enjoy for the Absolutely. holidays. Uh, I think 2024 is going to be a lot of um, sharing the message. Really, I want to go I want to go back around the country, not the same way as that. I don't, I don't want to live in my car again, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd love to share the message as far and wide as possible because uh, my my motivation for doing anything is about making the world a little bit better. And I, I really believe that this series and sharing what I learned from the series and the people around me will make the world better. So I hope that I can share that in big ways in 2024. Oh my gosh, so great. I, I just can't thank you enough for um, 
for hopping on. And I, I'm very proud of myself that I saw you on CNN and I went after you. I'm like, this guy <laughs> is coming on my podcast. Oh, Susie, awesome. I'm so glad you reached out. It's, it's such, like I said, it's such an honor to be on your podcast. And I know you, you don't bring men onto the podcast very Not often. So, so I, I really recognize that how special that is to be here. So I appreciate that you and your listeners were kind enough to have me here. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I wish you all the best and much, much success. I'll see if I know anybody who can help get your, your upcoming show into Toronto. (laughs) I know some people. I'll see what I can do. That would be amazing. Thanks so much, Susie. Okay. That's it for this episode. What can I say? I told you that you were likely going to be super inspired and impressed with Imran's initiative, creativity, and overall sense of thinking about life advice and avoiding regrets at such a young age. I thought this was pretty unusual for somebody only 25. But on the other hand, like so many of us, he was stuck and he didn't know what he wanted to do. One of my favorite messages from his work was to fully appreciate that it's not realistic to be happy all the time and how precious living in the present moment and embracing the importance of not wasting valuable time waiting. How many of us just wait for something good to happen? Just do the stuff you want to (laughs) do. The other thing I really heard from his story was how helpful a journey is. Doing something novel to get insight and perspective, and that alone will move you forward and out of stuckness. Even if you don't have total clarity just yet, just starting to do something new, taking a step, doing something different is so helpful. Actually, that's one of the reasons that the Women in the Middle Academy is so helpful. By connecting with so many other midlife women also working on growing forward, it's hard not to change perceptions and ultimately start to make changes yourself. You're just getting so many different inputs. You're hearing about so many different experiences and the way uh, people are handling things. It's just so good. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. We had a super fun interview, and I was totally fascinated by his story and the project overall. The time just flew by. Okay, as you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. This is how you put yourself on your agenda. My focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck, clear, and focused on your current values and priorities so you don't have regrets. You can absolutely create less busy and more balance. The bottom line is that you know you're meant for more, and I also know that you don't want to waste valuable time. So if you're ready to make some important changes with what I'm thinking of as a new midlife operating system, you can be way more clear about what you want and how to get there. And I can totally help you create the success you're looking for. That's why I created the Women in the Middle Academy with you in mind, because it's a warm, supportive, and fun coaching community of like-minded women who grow forward together so you feel great about your future. Email me your questions and let's talk about it and see if it's for you. Go ahead and book your free no-obligation momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. For show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 311. And if you're interested in applying to be a guest on my new podcast, Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs, head over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first, one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you again next week.